Think about a time when you visited a local museum, art gallery, library or heritage place. Did you ever wonder what the curator would choose as their favourite item? Would it be a photograph, a letter, a piece of art, a book or an object? Welcome to My Favourite Item, Unravelling Brisbane's History Piece by Piece, a podcast brought to you by Brisbane's Living Heritage Network. In each episode, join me as I step inside a different Brisbane-based heritage place or museum to learn more about this city's rich and unique history, as I ask each guest to choose just one item that shares a story about Brisbane that they love. This episode was recorded backstage at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre, where the museum's offices are located. You'll hear some general background noise from time to time. In this episode, we're joined by Maria Cleary, who is the Exhibitions Manager at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre Museum. Hi Maria, thanks for allowing us to take a peek inside the collection today. Before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about the collection that you take care of? The Queensland Performing Arts Museum collection comprises about 80,000 items currently. We collect from live performance across Queensland. It doesn't have to be grand, it doesn't have to be old, it doesn't have to be the most important thing. We love those grand and important things of course, but one of the aims of collecting and collecting as widely as possible from the performing arts, from live performance in Queensland, is to develop a collection that provides a really comprehensive picture of the performing arts in Queensland. The focus of this podcast is on a specific item, but we've decided to go a little wider today and unravel a number of smaller items that are part of a single donation. One that previously you've described as a significant one. How big was this donation and how did you come to acquire it? Because we're still in the process of accessioning this collection, I can't tell you exactly how many items and it's made more difficult because there are, as well as some larger pieces, there are some very small things. So it will be in the hundreds of items. So how did you come to get this collection? Like so many of the things that come into our collection, which is acquired largely by donation, the elderly parent of the donor had died and so it became time to find a home for the collection that had been accumulated throughout a lifetime of not only the donor's mother but also her grandparents. It's a collection that came from people who obviously understood the significance of their own history as provider of services to the performing arts in Queensland. So which family are we talking about? We're talking about Sweeters. Many people of a certain generation of my my generation will be familiar in in theatre circles, particularly will be familiar with Sweeters. The name of the donor is Christine Dart, who is the daughter of Leo and Elvis Sweeter and granddaughter of Charles. Sweeter. So you mentioned Charles Sweeter. Yes. Um, how does the story of Sweeters actually begin? The story of Sweeters is a fantastic Brisbane story actually. So the story begins with Carl Sweeter who was born in Germany and as a young man Carl travelled through Europe and learned 
to be a hairdresser. He and his wife and family came to Australia in 1909. They came to Brisbane in 1912 and set up a hairdressing business in the valley and it was at that point that he changed his name from Carl Schweder to Charles Schweder, it being a more favourable name than, and less Germanic name in culture and business at the time. And it's that Schweder's name that has lived on. Charles grew to be quite a significant figure in the hairdressing industry. We've actually got a copy of the Hairdressers Journal of Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about this? By 1927, Charles had become the first president of the Hairdressers Association of Australia and though this is a 1927 Hairdressers Association journal and it is signed on the front by Charles Sweeter with a note also in fountain pen that says keep this one. So you know it sort of harks back to the idea of people understanding the significance of these sorts of documents. So it's part technical journal, part social journal and it's got a charming image on the front of Masquerade ball. Also on the front of this um, little magazine are the um, tragedy and comedy masks that are so familiar to uh, representation of theatre, even though this was not particularly about theatre, but it's referencing uh, the first hairdressing trade ball that is taking place. And the collection's full of these documents that trace the path of this business in all sorts of diverse and interesting ways. Charles started with a hairdressing salon, you said, in Fortitude Valley. Yes, yes. How do we get that transference into the theatre industry? As well as hairdressing, there was wig making. In 1923, they moved the hairdressing business from the valley to the newly built Brisbane Arcade and uh, established a shop there. And as well as the hairdressing shop, they had leases on other shops in that arcade where wigs were manufactured, so custom-made wigs as well as stock line. But it was really the, the wig-making part of the business that sort of moved into the theatrical world. Wig-making part of the business also continued for, for many, many years as a primary part of what Sweeters did. Charles had a son who was called Leo. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Leo came into the business after World War II. He was one of a number of children in the family, but it was Leo who really continued with the business and continued to develop it, both from the hairdressing side and the wig-making side very much, but also introducing theatrical makeup as part of their enterprise, as well as live performance coincided with the coming of television and Leo developed makeup known as monotone which had TV makeup particularly in mind. We've also got some examples of the uh, the way that makeup was packaged here. So there's these gorgeous makeup cases with the Sweeters label. And so this was 100% Leo's creation, his recipe. Also in the collection there are books and letters to chemical suppliers that are to do with developing the formulas for the makeup. And the point of difference with this makeup is that it's water soluble, not grease paint, and so, so many performers really liked the uh, the water soluble aspect of it. It was handmade until until the end, well into the 1980s. It's just escaped me now when, when Leo died, but he never really retired. and this makeup continued to be handmade and hand packed usually by the family 
under the house. <laughs> and there are great stories of the, the containers being stacked up in the family station wagon while they all dried out. So as well as these lovely cases, and you can see there are different cases which also track the time. So these pink stamped cases are older than the white cases and a little later than that. And this would have been cost management as well. They go to a plain white case with a cardboard sleeve. You can see the symbolism on their labelling, which yes. is a mirror with two masks, yes. to kind of show that it's theatre makeup. We can see the address as well on the makeup yes. cases yes. being Annalee. So that's a later address for the business. The business, as I say, from 1923, was established in the Brisbane Arcade, and there were several shops, but by the 1960s it had come down to being one shop, Sweeters theatrical supplies and ballet supplies. So that's another part of the story. They stayed in the shop in the Brisbane Arcade, which is really where I particularly remember it. It was upstairs in the Brisbane Arcade down at the Adelaide Street end. It was the go-to place if you needed shoes or tulle or makeup, ribbon, elastic, you know. <laughs> you so you walked that. in and it was this absolute treasure trove of yes. theatre supplies and yes. makeup and wigs and all yes. that beautiful small cluttered but with very personal service and yes, the only business in town really doing that. They remained there until probably the early nineteen eighties and that's when the business then moved to an arcade in Annerley. The idea then was it was a scaling back situation but that didn't quite happen. Leo was not a person who could just really leave the business that was really his life. What are you holding here? Oh, I'm just holding in my hand so again this kind of handcrafted nature of this you know, this business you know it's all it's all a bit um, sort of homegrown and non-industrial so these are the little stamps that are oh. the names of the colours so each of these makeup tins has a colour and a number which is how they're identified. And so there are just these little handmade stamps with wooden handles that, again, I think that the children were lined up downstairs <laughs> stamping, stamping colours onto the bottoms of, uh, of makeup containers. But these, this sort of small production, so that, you know, became a challenge financially too, you know, in, in, a, in a world where things are increasingly mass-produced and increasingly imported became a challenge but it was certainly the way a lot of these products were made and need to be made. I mean the handcraft that's involved with both the wig making and the manufacture of the makeup is really important and it's a part of collecting in the performing arts that we don't necessarily get a lot of this behind-the-scenes craft aspect because, you know, we think of it as being the outward side, the costumes, the show, but what goes behind the costumes and the show as it appears on stage is a raft of craftspeople who get that production together and this is wonderful collection of the way things were done and to an extent are still done in theatre and film where things are custom made for specific people and costumes and roles. We're going to now talk about Leo's wife because she is a really significant figure in this story and her name was Alva, ballet teacher, dancer. Yes. And she really led the business in that direction. I'm looking at they 
catalogue sitting in front of us where it proudly proclaims at the bottom of it the largest stockists of dancewear and theatrical requirements in Queensland. Can you talk about some of the objects that you've drawn out that relate to Elva and her story? Yes, so Elva, Elva was a Brisbane girl. She was a ballet dancer and teacher and she met Leo because of uh, their association with the original Cremorne Theatre. There was a go so far as to say a particular production of Showboat where Elva was her role is not called choreographer but director of stage action and Leo would have been there doing the makeup and so it was there that they met. They married, I think it was 1953, but when Elva and Leo got together, her knowledge of ballet and understanding of the needs of ballet became an obvious path for her to pursue in adding that aspect to the business. And so it was really she who drove the introduction of ballet supplies and a broadening of what Sweeter's business was was very much from her as a result of her contribution they also started off with um, fancy dress and I believe that one of their first fancy dress items was Elva's own wedding dress which she had converted and I think that they went on to you know acquire other second-hand wedding dresses and some formal wear etc so that became also part of the business so obviously she was a very enterprising person and became an absolute key player in the sweetest business again right so it's important to, to mention that the business still exists and so that's the other thing that's extraordinary it's this family business that's been going in the hands of one family in Brisbane still exists now and it's been going since 1912 and that's a pretty rare achievement really and so Elva's granddaughter now who is uh, sort of on the front line of the business. One of the most beautiful items as part of this donation is this gorgeous photograph that it says in a handwritten note that it was taken in 1942-43. Can you describe what you love about this image? So this is an image and I've said before these are people who took photographs in a time where people didn't necessarily take a lot of photographs but there's this sort of consciousness of, of documenting things. This is a picture of three children who were Elva's ballet students. She lived at Annalee and taught ballet possibly at her home. It would have been her parents' home. So these children look like they might be around 10 or 11 years old and they're in very styled up, I guess, country and western costumes. So they're very white with red bandanas, cowgirl, cowboy boots and hats, looking gorgeous, posing in the backyard. It's a hand-coloured photo and Apart from the charm of the children and the costumes, we can also see that it's definitely Brisbane because there's there in the background are the stumps of the Queenslander and the weatherboards and the slightly rickety timber fence and the sun shining in their eyes. And it's one of a series of photographs. I suspect they were, they were preparing for a concert and had come out to, to take these pictures but uh, they're they're really lovely and at this stage yes Elva is 18 years old and um, being enterprising teaching ballet to students at her home in Annalee. The last item that we've got 
laying in front of us is something that when I first saw it I thought it looked like a medieval torture device. Can you explain what this item is and what story it tells us? It's a fabulous thing. It's about the size of a shoebox I guess with four centimetre serious array of steel spikes sticking up from the top of it. It's called a hackle and if you think of, you know, the hackles rising on the back of your neck, so that's that's where it's got its name from with these spikes sticking up. And it is a piece of wig making equipment. Its purpose is to help the wig maker prepare the, the hair before stitching it into the wig so that the hair, which will, whether it's synthetic or natural hair, will have arrived in a plait or a bag. And then in order to prepare it for manufacturing into a wig, it's laid across this device and drawn through the spikes. So it, it, it's like a big comb, but it's, it's a big stable spiky <laughs> spiky spiky comb and the spikes are arranged in there's a little bit of gradation in how close the spikes are together but yes it's mounted on the table and also with this piece of equipment came this great photo of Dulcie Urquhart who had worked for Sweeters and so this is the other thing they, their employees were loyal and they stayed mm. with them for years and years and years and so this is Dulcie during the early 80s uh, working in the shop in Annalee preparing hair for the making of Santa wigs and beards so as well as sort of regular theatre they did if you were a kiddie going to see Santa in a shopping centre in Brisbane probably from the at least the 60s into well into the 80s Santa's wig and beard would have been styled by Sweeters, very, very likely. And the other thing that they did was barrister's wigs. And so I've also just got here a, a moustache to show you. And you can see, looking at this moustache, you can see that each one of these hairs is individually knotted into the piece of net that it's mounted on. So they're not stitched, they're hand knotted. It's incredible. And so this is the, the, the level of craft and detail that we were able to see in this collection. It's so lovely on so many levels. You mentioned before the creation of barrister wigs. So this yes. puts us into a nice segue into a legal case that involved the sweeters. Yes. Can you talk us through that? The fascinating things that you discover when you open the box of a collection and start to sort through it. There were assorted press clippings, uh, some of which tracked the story of a legal dispute that was about the ownership of the name for Sweeter's Macassar oil. Now, people have forgotten what Macassar oil is. It's hair oil. You might have heard of or might not have heard of the sort of cloth that's on the back of an armchair or used to be maybe at your Nana's place. That's called an anti-Macassar. The reason that's called an anti-Macassar is that if people used Macassar oil in their hair you didn't want to get it on the back of the chair and so there's this sort of washable cloth called an anti-Macassar on the back of the chair. Anyway, that was Macassar oil, it was a hair product. Sweeters in the, again in their own enterprising way and we're back into the 30s at this stage with Charles, the era of Charles Sweeter, developed their own formulation. According to the advertising we have very beautiful, completely iconic little poster here, advertising poster for, the, for their Macassar oil, a perfect blend 
blend of imported essential and aromatic oils delicately perfumed to suit men and ladies alike. You know, it could be a piece of marketing from today about you know, how we all love our I was, oils. I was just thinking the person that they've got situated in the middle, the lady, it is very much Kendall Jenner because I like the Kardashian. <laughs> she has this very iconic image of her lying down on the ground and the hair behind her is perfectly curled. Yes, yes. So it's, it is really gorgeous. Yes, somebody else, how dare they, came along and virtually replicated the packaging for the product so that it would have been very difficult for a consumer to tell the difference between the Sweeters original product and the imposter product. And so a court case ensued and in the notices in the newspaper columns there was reportage of the incident and ultimately Sweeters were successful in maintaining their ownership of the look look and name of the product but fascinating that it made the paper and I love when you look back at old newspapers from those 20s and 30s the amount of cases that are reported because they were the gossip of the day why is this donation your favorite why did you choose it today to talk about there are a couple of touchstones with my own life so it was the first donation that I received when I came into this position in 2016. My background is as a in theatre before I transitioned into working in cultural heritage and museums was as a costume maker and then a set and costume designer and so the Sweeters brand, their products, the shop, going to the shop in Brisbane Arcade which is such a beautiful arcade and it's so it just resonated on on so many levels there. Sweeters was a thing I knew about or I thought I knew about and suddenly it built this big story around it and I got to meet Chris Dart, Leon Elva's daughter who is of a similar age to me and be able to have familiarity with a growing up in Brisbane story, theatrical interest crossover, not the same but parallel in some ways, was just really wonderful. And again, it's just got so many really interesting elements in it that are visually interesting, they're historically interesting, they represent moments in time, the way photographs are taken, the way there are objects like the hackle, and and the completeness of it as a thing that can tell a story that has spanned a 100 years is quite amazing. Do you have a favourite object in this donation? It's really hard to say because different things have their own fascination. I do love the photographs because there are lots of these hand-coloured photographs. There are some here I haven't got that are of Elva as a child in ballet costumes and they're really just something special. But I also do love this uh, Macassar oil poster just for its fabulous art deco and graphic quality as well as the story that goes along with it. What I love about each of these items that you've shown me today is that I think they really reflect that entrepreneurial spirit of Brisbane at that time but on a micro level I really like that these items share a story about a family and that family work together, they live together, their legacy endures as you said even today a family whose passion had a tremendous impact on the Brisbane theatre industry over such a long period of time. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for sharing the story behind this amazing donation. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of My Favourite Item, 
unravelling Brisbane's history piece by piece and discovering more about the Sweeters donation. Items from the museum's collection and touring exhibitions can be viewed in its Tony Gould Gallery, which is open from 10am to 4pm, Tuesday to Sunday. The collection may also be able to be viewed by appointment. For further information, you are welcome to email Maria at collections at qpac.com.au. You can also find more about the organisation that I volunteer for by visiting our website, blhn.org. Have you liked this podcast? Or do you know something more about this donation? Maybe you remember visiting Sweeters like Maria does, or you have one of their costumes tucked away in a cupboard. Think about leaving a comment, subscribing, or sharing it on your social media platforms. What will be the next favourite item? Tune in to the next episode to find out.